The specials never stop at Blue Naples Pizza, an Italian restaurant. Every day, you get a large two-topping pizza for only $11.99. On Sunday, watch football and enjoy our large one-topping pizza and 10 wings for only $17.99. Plus lunch specials every day of the week. Blue Naples Pizza, an Italian restaurant. 1519 Union Cross Road in Kernersville. Charlotte out of timeout. Here's Morning. The shot. Goal! Game over! He's going to get off. Here he comes. Here he comes. He's got him this time. It's going to be a drag race. Wow. They touch. They touch. Now Ponogorovsky with it. Threw away the cross block there. Scramble for it there. They pump away at it. Still it's loose. Pumped out by Kovalchuk. They score! It's three! It's over! The runner at third. Nobody out in the first and didn't score. Second and third. One out in the second and didn't score. Smith. Corks one into right. Down the line. It may go! Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. It's a home run. Welcome to The Score. Here's your host, Brett Wiseman. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of The Score here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Brett Wiseman joined this morning by resident Panthers expert Josh Scott, who apparently wants to beat Washington, and Alex Wober, our resident Seattle fan who wants to beat Arizona, and then at the bottom of our screens are Garrett Davenport and Christian Emery, who don't want to beat anyone, apparently. Um, hey, now. <laughs> well, Christian, your Vikings beat Garrett's Chargers last weekend, so I, I don't know if you two are going to fight virtually through the you know, here, no, but... no, there won't be any fights, uh, at least not from my end. I mean, we lost to Kirk Cousins. What what kind of trash can I talk, you know? <laughs> That's a good one. That's a fair point. Uh, Christian, our two teams play each other this weekend, and we'll we'll get to that in a second. Um, first, Josh, let's defer to you. Um, we will begin this show by saying that uh, he's back. Yes, he is. Uh, Cam Newton returned and virtually dominated uh, the Arizona Cardinals, and... One thing I want to make very, very clear is that the reason for the lopsided victory from the Carolina Panthers was not that D-Hop and Kyler Murray were not out there. There was a lot more that the Panthers did well in that game. I feel like they used P.J. Walker really, really well, and they used Cam Newton in those special packages really, really well. Uh, I think even if Kyler Murray was out there, the way that defense was flying around, they still would have gotten the job done. You're exactly right, Brett. You know, going back to PJ Walker, you know, he completed 22 of 29 of his passes for 167 yards. And if, if, but if you take away that one interception, that's a pretty darn good game, and that's exactly the type of game that you want to have if you're a game managing quarterback like PJ Walker is. So kudos to him for you know doing his job. You know, Cam Newton only came in for eight plays in that game, but PJ Walker carried the, the, the pretty much the, the the major load of you know of, of quarterbacking that game, and he did a pretty darn good job. You know, you mentioned that defense as well. 
four sacks, four tackles for loss, and four uh, four pass breakups and an interception uh, from Dante Jackson, who's had three, I believe, in the last uh, two games that the Panthers have gone to Arizona. But yeah, that 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 defense is playing very very well right now. Shaq Thompson clearly is the one that you know the, captaining the defense. Picking up Stephon Gilmore has turned out to be a huge uh, benefit for us in the secondary. Um, and, and I mentioned Dante Jackson. He's turned into quite a leader as well um, back there and corralling the defense with Jeremy Chin and others. So, um, yeah, very proud of, of how that defense played on Sunday, despite the fact that, you know, Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins were not on the field. But, yeah, like you mentioned, I think they still would have beaten the Cardinals with, with Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins on the field because I think the Panthers are just that good defensively. Oof, oof. I'm going to have to disagree. Uh, tell us why. Well, I'll tell you why. I, and I won't take away from the Panthers win. They played great. You know, I can't take away from that. I used Cam, like you said, great in those special packages. And PJ was uh, did enough to get the job done. But Kyler and D-Hop are, are the core of that team. And, you know, they they cannot get it done on offense with just James Conner, you know, Benjamin Christian Kirk and Rondell. Well, they don't even use Rondell more at wide receiver, really. They use him at running back. But the, and defensively, they, they lost J.J. Watt. Uh, uh, they lost Patrick Peterson in the offseason. It's just Chandler Jones, really, on that defensive line. So I, I'm not saying that Arizona would have won if they had Kyler and Hop, but I think it would have been a lot more of a, a bloodbath than people think it would have been uh, just because Carolina won by such a big margin. Yeah, I, I think they still would have won by that much. And and Josh, Ooh. I mean, like like I said, the way that defense was flying around, I don't think it mattered who was bad. I don't think it mattered if Johnny Unitas would have been back there. They still would have found a way to get the job done. Well, I mean, Colt McCoy compared to Kyler Murray. I mean, I'm gonna have to. I'm on Team Alex with this one. I I definitely think you know having Kyler and having DeAndre Hopkins would have made a lot much a lot bigger of a difference. Definitely a 24 point difference. I don't think they win by the same margin. I think it's closer, you know. And I think you know a fully healthy Cardinal squad makes it a real close game. I think as Alex said, it's a bloodbath with those all everybody. Uh, you know, fully 100%. So, and, you know, I, I speaking on the Panthers, though, I really like this two-quarterback thing that they were doing. I actually really enjoyed it. Uh, I'm pretty sure they're not going to go back to it, but I thought it was pretty cool. But I again, thought it was an interesting concept. And, look, we, we've seen how, um, before Trey Lance went on the shelf, how the 49ers really used him and Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, darn near beat Green Bay um, with both of them situationally if they didn't leave 38 seconds on the clock. But um, you look at how they use P.J. They used, P.J.'s probably got the strongest arm out of the other three quarterbacks they had in the room, uh, counting the uh, the practice squad guy whose name is escaping me. Matt Barkley. Uh, correct. Uh, Matt Barkley. Got about the USC legend, man? <laughs> Dude, I don't know if, like, Matt Rule and David Tepper are just, like, plucking as many USC quarterbacks off the street as they can. Um, John David Booty, I think, is still out there somewhere. And he, Matt, Matt Leinert might still have something in the can. Uh, he's worked it for Fox, but lost track. Look, if you bring in John David Booty, then we can call it a day because that's just that's the greatest name I've ever heard other than Kabir Baja Biamila in the history of football. 
Anyways, um, Josh, you look at, you know, schematically how Cam was used. As Garrett said, I don't, I don't think this is something that's going to continue going forward, but very similar to what the 49ers did earlier on in the year, and I, I think similar to what to what the Saints have been able to do with with Taysom Hill uh, over the past couple of years is is to they use Cam as kind of a bulldozer. Yeah, you're right on that, Brett. It was interesting how they used him on Sunday, and it was kind of expected. You know, on goal line situations, they had another option to run it in, and it's interesting comparing Cam Newton and PJ Walker to Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance. You know, Garoppolo's the veteran quarterback starting. P.J. Walker is kind of, a, I mean, he's a second-year player um, backing up. Both of those quarterbacks are Trey Lance, a rookie, and Cam Newton, a veteran. So it's interesting how the roles are kind of switched there. But, yeah, I, I like how Joe Brady used Cam on, on this past Sunday. I think it was just enough for him to, you know, to, to use him enough uh, with the amount of plays that he had learned in such a short amount of time after, you know, the Panthers picked him up on Thursday. I think that was a good amount of time they put him on the field for but I'll tell you somebody else who, uh, who who helped make Cam Newton and P.J. Walker's life a lot easier, and that was having Christian McCaffrey on the field. I mean, he accounted for uh, over 160 yards of scrimmage uh, for that offense, you know, over 60 yards through the air and almost 100 yards on the ground. So, you know, having Christian McCaffrey, that was probably his best game of the season, I would, I would imagine. Um, having him on the field makes a difference tremendously on the offensive side of the football and um i think uh you know he, he needs to stay healthy if this offense is going to thrive because even though cam newton's back um declaring to the world on sunday uh in in front of the camera on fox that he's back look um, i i have never seen a gif that yeah. uh, of someone that was not of my team that made me so happy <laughs> as that one did that, it, yeah, it just it encapsulated make, everything. It didn't make Matt Rule happy, I'll tell you that. He told him not to do that anymore after after he went back to the sideline. But, um, but yeah, uh, I think even though Cam is back and the fan base is losing their minds on Twitter, it's, it's amazing to me. I've never seen a fan base that I've been a part of lose their minds and be so happy over someone returning to his original team. Uh, Christian McCaffrey is still the face of this franchise. And having him on the field makes a tremendous difference. Keeping him healthy for the rest of the season, I think, is going to be uh, the the key on offense to help us make a playoff push. And, Josh, I mean, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. You hit the nail on the head right there with Christian McCaffrey. If he can stay on the field, this is a whole different Panthers team. I mean, it's a whole different trajectory of the franchise uh, going forward. If they can keep him on the field, we know how dynamic of – a player Christian McCaffrey is so definitely having that it helps out any quarterback not just a guy like Cam Newton but going back to Cam I mean I was with Brett in the same situation we were even talking about it is that man we don't really necessarily cheer for the Panthers I guess we want them to do well but it's our default second team I guess because yeah. of where we're from but by default but yeah. uh you know it, I've never seen something like that actually make me emotional like I felt bad for Cam the way he left I did too um, I I always had I always felt like he'd gotten you know a bad rap in that regard and but it like Josh maybe you can interject on this already but I didn't really watch the full game of course here in Missouri we don't watch the Panthers on Fox like you do in Charlotte all the time and I kind of miss it I kind of miss those games but either way I mean it just kind of looked like Cam Newton already had the trust of the sideline within a few days no question about it Garrett I think um, that 
was huge for this team because over the last few weeks, uh, the team had been deflated. The fan base had been deflated. Um, and it was slowly uh, turning it kind of like how someone is standing on a, a, a pond that's been frozen and it, there's, it's cracking. You know, I feel like that's how the Panthers fan base was. It, it was just barely hanging on for dear life. Like, okay, something needs to happen to get this fan base rejuvenized. And, you know, kudos to Matt Rule and kudos to David Tepper for, for jumping in and say, okay, hey, we tried Teddy Bridgewater. Didn't work. We're still paying off of his contract, but that's okay. Sam Darnold didn't work. We're still going to probably take an eighteen million and a half dollar cap hit next year, but that's okay. We made a mistake. We try and we tr- we tried something and we made a mistake. I mean, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take, right? As the old saying goes, they took a shot with Sam Darnold. Didn't work. Wayne Gretzky said that, not Michael Jordan. By the way, I want to make well, that sorry, clear. Yeah, every, wait, every, wait, every, wait, every wait. time that quote actually, up, but... Michael Scott. That's yes, he said it. Third, but, hey, Michael, but continue. That but continue. Time, but continue. <laughs> yes. But anyway, uh, it, it, how it got to that point to bring Cam Newton back is is kind of unfortunate, to be honest. But it was a it was it was a reunion that needed to happen. The way that you you mentioned it, Brett. The way that Cam left the building shouldn't have been uh, sh- shouldn't have happened the way that it happened. And uh, to bring him back, the, the greatest quarterback to play in Bank of America Stadium, arguably the best Panther to play in Bank of America Stadium, uh, is back with back where he belongs. And I'm looking forward to seeing him play against his former coach on Sunday, uh, Ron Rivera, for the Washington football team. And, and like we said last week, I mean that 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 can't that can't be a like I guess it could be a coincidence, but we can't think of it as such. I mean. That that falls into the category of of stuff you can't make up. And uh, when you look ahead to this week, Josh, at what Washington brings after knocking off a team like Tampa Bay, and we'll talk about that that game specifically uh, when we get into the rest of the league in the next segment. But you you have a team that's coming in ri- riding high like that. I mean, it it causes a little bit of. Uh, I, I, I guess it changes the mindset a little bit. It does. Uh, t- Taylor Heineke's a good quarterback. I like how Ron Rivera has utilized him. He threw for, what, 256 passing yards last week against Tampa Bay. Right, um, and I feel like um, Ron Rivera lets him use his speed yeah. uh, a lot more than he's been able to. Uh, Taylor Heineke is sneaky fast. Like, we talk about a guy like, like Rodgers or a guy like Roethlisberger and – and, and other guys like that, Josh Allen, Mahomes, their ability to get out of the pocket, and and you know, the former and the latter, despite their size and build, uh, e- each of those four are equally as athletic as the other. But um, Taylor Heineke's faster than than a lot of guys, so that's another thing for for the Panther defense to keep an eye on with how they were flying around. Is Taylor Heineke can sneak up on you and run past you. He can, and, and, he, and he has weapons too. I mean, Terry, Terry McLaughlin is a, is a good receiver. I think he's definitely a, a back-end, top 10, front half, top 20, or top 15 receiver in the league. Um, so uh, Dante Jackson or Stephon Gilmore, whoever's going to be covering him on Sunday, is going to have to really you know tighten up and make sure that he doesn't get uh, he doesn't catch any footballs thrown his way. But um, but yeah, you know, we, 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 we talk about Washington's offense. Their defense has been pretty darn good as well. And it's going to be a shame that, it, or it's it's the it's a big 
big deal that Chase Young and Montez Sweat will not be playing on Sunday, both of their defensive ends. Um, and Chase yeah. Young's on the shelf for the entire year. Right? We right. don't know the situation of Montez Sweat, but um, that's another thing psychologically that has to go into this is, is how does Washington respond to that? Right. And now both of them will be gone, but their defensive tackles, Allen, I'm, 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 uh, I'm blanking on his first name. Apparently he's one of the top defensive tackles in the league uh, sack wise. So that's going to really give, that's going to give, well, I mean, one of one, one guy to watch out for is what I'm, what I mean. But I mean, it, our offensive line is going to be tested on Sunday again. I think we're going to really see the true colors of Pat Elfline as Matt Paradis's replacement at center. Um, he plays better at center. Hopefully that will be the case on Sunday. Had a great game. Didn't allow a sack against Arizona last week. But, um, yeah, that entire offensive line is going to be – who I still think – what who I still think is still in the works, by the way, I think uh, it's, it's going to be tested on Sunday um, against this Washington front seven, uh, even though they're down a couple of key players. But um, it, it, it should be a good game. I, I think these next – two weeks, at least next three weeks, after watching the Atlanta Falcons and how they played Thursday night, uh, should be winnable games for the Panthers. And I'm uh, looking forward to seeing how this next stretch of game goes. Yeah, and, and when you look at the rest of the season, um, you know, it, it's not that this season was written off, but, you know, a, a lot of fans have kind of, you know, almost uh, taking the assumption that, all right, we're, we're just going to play this out and see how it goes, but we're not expecting this to go anywhere. To, after a game like last week, and then when you look ahead with this game against Washington, a team that beat Tampa Bay, um, and then you go into a divisional game against Atlanta, does the mindset overall as to now, you're, you know, you're, you're at 500, um, you get this win, you're above it. You win the next two, you're at seven and five. You know, you're sitting pretty after Thanksgiving um, with that extra wild card spot and the extra regular season game. Does the mindset change then a- a- from a fan's perspective, that is? It does. I-, I think it gives you hope. It gives you a, a sense of um, something to look forward to. But I think, honestly, it, it amazes me again. I, I mentioned this earlier. It, it amazes me how how um, happy this fan base is. I've never seen a fan base that has been so excited for someone returning to their original team that they were drafted by. And I guess that's the effect that Cam Newton has on people. I guess I've forgotten that in, in the year and a half that he's been gone from Charlotte. But but yeah, you know, looking at the schedule, I mean, again, Washington on Sunday, the Dolphins next week, and then the Falcons after the bye. It, it's a it's a pretty manageable schedule, and hopefully by the time we play Buffalo and then Tampa, um, that you know our roster will be fully healthy. J.C. Horn possibly could come back. I don't know. I mean, that might be a little early again. The broken foot. It's it, he's had to rehab through that for a while. But and hopefully Cam Newton will know the playbook that Joe Brady has for him, not just for running the ball, but also for passing because he threw one play, he threw one throw on Sunday to DJ Moore that eventually Moore didn't catch it because he was extremely interfered with and the flag was thrown, obviously. But that throw that Cam Newton threw to DJ Moore, it was right on the money. And I'm hoping that he can make throws like that um, on Sunday and in future games this week. But uh, yeah, this fan base has hope right now and I'm I'm excited. I think there's a, a rejuvenated sense of excitement uh, in in the Charlotte-based franchise, you know, I think it's kind of wild how quickly 
everything just kind of turned around. And it was really just the signing of Cam Newton. <laughs> so that's really when everything changed. I mean, that, you look never, at the effect the effect he's had on this franchise. I mean, he took them as close to the promised land as they'd ever been. I'm, I mean, had I've their never... Their best season ever. Um, you know, I can remember there were a lot of quote-unquote fair-weather Panthers fans, but that's only because Krispy Kreme offered free donuts every time they won and they kept winning. Um, but... The effect that Cam Newton has on this fan base is, you know, to a lot of other people, he's he's a bit of a polarizing figure, um, a polarizing personality. But to this fan base in this area, he is a hero because of where he took them. And now you're, you're, you're you know, I think the correct terminology here would be you're bringing the prodigal son home. Yeah. I'll say this last thing, too. I think – what worries me or not what worries me the 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 last thing i'm looking for this team right now not i mean cam Newton's back obviously most of the roster is healthy uh this team needs to establish a consistent type of play every single week two of the last four games we've lost by six or less points um and then the two games that we've won i mean one of them was by 24. so we can't keep having the Panthers keep can't keep having these win loss win loss uh, string of games every week. They need to establish a consistent type, t- style of play every week, and that's what's going to help them, you know, win ball games or at least be competitive in uh, having a chance to win ball games every week. If they can be more consistent, that should be the key. And I think it's pretty realistic. Uh, we talked about the schedule for this team to go three and zero within these next three games. It's very realistic, and this is a fan base that was defeated. Yes. Before Cam Newton got signed, but now, yes. hey, they're they're I, I know a lot of them. Uh, shout out to Mackie G, uh, that are really hype about this uh, next three games, and they think they can pull it out. I think they can pull it out, and I think the tide will definitely turn on where this season is going if they do pull out those three wins. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. We got to get in the break here, guys. We'll get to the rest of the NFL. Uh, look back at last week and look ahead to what's to come. Uh, this week on The Score. Back here on The Score with Brett Wiseman here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Brett Wiseman joined by Alex Wober, Garrett Davenport, Christian Emery. Thanks to excuse me, Josh Scott for coming on in that last segment. Guys, let's talk about that Washington-Tampa game. Uh, as we look back to last week, um, I don't think I've ever seen a drive as, as gutsy or as as falling into the category of a statement drive as that one down the stretch there by Washington was. It pretty much took up the entire fourth quarter, and I don't think I've seen as intelligent a drive either. I mean, they mixed things up. It was, what, a 10-and-a-half-minute drive? 15 plays, 80-some-odd yards. They salted the pretty much the entire fourth quarter away, and Ron Rivera said, Tom Brady is not getting the ball back, period. And when he very easily could have kicked the field goal when they got stuffed at the goal line, he said, no, he is not getting the ball back. They punched it in with Gibson, and then I have never seen this happen ever, but it was incredibly smart took a knee on the two-point conversion attempt so that Tampa Bay could not, on some kind of fluke play, run it back for two points of their own. Everything about that drive was incredible. I've never seen anything like that. 
sadly i didn't get to witness that said drive uh of course because you know when it comes to actual games being broadcasted but 19 plays 80 yards 10 minutes 30 seconds if you want to round up i mean that's nuts that's something you see you know in high school <laughs> but that's like kind of the you know the bread and butter on how to beat great teams and great offenses you prevent those elite downs. quarterbacks from getting the ball too you, you hold on to the ball milk clock you get first downs uh you don't play behind the sticks you play smart football and that's exactly what they did i mean they as you said they did not give tom brady the football they got out to an early lead and they managed it they didn't do anything crazy i mean you, you could argue they almost blew it but they stayed in there they managed their lead and when you get in front of a dynamic team like that that's what you got to do it's the bread and butter that is the staple you have to just keep the football get first downs milk that clock and that's exactly what they did they executed it to perfection and you know that's that's just how you do it i mean there's really nothing else i can say about it something that i noticed in that game that was really interesting to me and it's kind of been building over the last few weeks but how important Antonio Brown and Gronkowski really are to this Tampa Bay offense. I mean, although, you know, they, they have Leonard Fournette, they, ha they have Chris Godwin, they have Mike Evans, Tom Brady has plenty of people to throw the ball to out there, which is, you know, no excuse to why they lost the game. But it does show how important having those extra weapons are for Tom Brady now in his, I don't know, 20th, 20 some season. So, I think Tampa, if they can get back those guys, they'll they'll be at the same tier we saw them at last year towards the end of this season. But for right now, they're, they're having trouble uh, scoring points, honestly. And uh, you also got to give credit to that Washington secondary. I mean, they, they played a great game. I mean, two picks. Uh, you know, Tom Brady did not play that well in the first half. Uh, the check down merchant couldn't find anybody downfield. Uh, <laughs> So if you're Tom Brady fan, sorry, you can come at my throat later. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I know the secondary for Washington, they played absolutely phenomenal. Only limited Mike Evans to two catches. Uh, of course, he had 63 yards and a touchdown, but still only two catches. So, I mean, this is a Washington defense that came into the season. I thought they were going to be a lot better than what they were. Um, but it's it's good to see them play at the level that we know that we they can play at. And also not a fully healthy squad at that you know, being able to only limit, you know, a, a very dynamic Buccaneers offense to 19 points. I mean, that, that's, you know, like Alex said, not having those playmakers is definitely difficult for the Buccaneers, but also, you know, they have a lot of talent that could still score. And so being able to only limit them to 19 is really more eye popping to me than the fact that there are some players out for the Bucs. And, and, and to touch on Washington real quick as well is that they ended last season on such a high note that I think that's why they were ranked so high coming in and their defense is obviously really good. And that showed against Tampa Bay, but they started running the football. Finally. I mean, you have Antonio Gibson back there and he was not getting the football. It was McKissick was getting involved in passing plays. They had uh, Patterson getting involved. So, you know, not really feeding the ball to Antonio Gibson. I felt really, hindered that offense early on in this season. I think that's why they had such a slow start. So now two touchdowns last week for Antonio Gibson. Didn't have over 100 yards, but he got the ball 24 times on the ground. So that's going to be a huge difference for Washington going forward. And, look, there's no way they compete in the NFC East with Dallas. They're just going to run away with it. But uh, Washington and Carolina this game this weekend might have a lot to say 
in a month's time as far as that that second or the third wild card spot goes. And, and another thing, Brett, not to cut you off, but Washington has to play Dallas twice and the Eagles twice in four weeks. I mean, yeah, they're they're going to get tested as as if the Tampa game wasn't a test enough. I mean, this is a team again that made the playoffs last year and darn near beat Tampa Bay in that wild card game last year. So, I mean, this is not this is not a a, a slouch. This is not a, a, the game against Tampa. I don't think is a fluke. Um, yeah, they're not a they're not a slouch. And I'm I'm sorry to cut you off there, Brett, but they are. You know, they're three and six. They're third in the NFC East. And looking at their schedule. I mean, uh, as uh, it, it gets Alex tough. said, it gets, it gets tough. real tough, and uh, you know, I don't. I just don't think they're uh, going to be a wild card team. Looking at their schedule, I'd be surprised. I mean, they might take a couple. They might have two wins in there, but you know, to, to call them a, a playoff team, uh, I, I don't know if I can agree with that statement. Uh, just because looking at their schedule, I mean, they did play the Seahawks, and we can get into the Seahawks later. They didn't look good. Uh, but uh, they got a difficult schedule coming up. But I think this win, you know, could spark something if they can get uh, a win against Carolina. Maybe they do go undefeated. Who knows? But, I mean, on paper, you know, I I, I don't think I have the trust in the football team to kind of make that run. If we we look at Dallas, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention this. Um, Mike McCarthy called last week – after the loss to Denver, uh, tan hide or, or red butt week or something like that, that he was going to tan everybody's hides. Um, the story came out that there was a lot of uh, that monkey butt powder stuff that's supposed to like unshafe you back there um, that was used in the locker room to drive that point home. Um, and it did because they beat the ever-living crap out of the uh, Atlanta Falcons, who then got... Uh, lost by 25, um, a 25-point deficit familiar for them against the Patriots, um, which, by the way, 25 nothing was not scoregami, and I could have sworn there was never a 25 nothing game, like, ever. But apparently there were 10 of them, so no, this, is why the gentleman that, this is why the gentleman that runs that Twitter account knows more than the rest of us. Um, Alex, I'm not going to, you know, beat up on you too much, but... Uh, Oh, God. Your Seahawks did not look good. Um, And look, let's give credit to the Packers' defense. Um, And again, I know I'm biased, but Packers are a contender in the NFC. They have to be thrown into that category. Um, The last time Green Bay had a a defense that was in the top 10 in total defense in the league was 2010. We all know what happened that year. They won the Super Bowl. Um this is the key. This is the one thing that the Packers have been missing for the longest time is that Rodgers has had to carry the load and out shoot out people. But when you hold Patrick Mahomes to, it was at 13 points um, without Aaron Rodgers, um, And then Aaron comes back, the offense gets stifled. He's uh, you know a little bit rusty, uh, missed some throws that, you know, he normally makes in his sleep. And you go out there, you sack Russell Wilson five times, you pick him off twice and, DK Metcalf doesn't even sniff the football. Um, you stop two pretty elite offenses. I mean, that's that's something to, to, to take home in your lunch pail and feel good about. I won't take anything away from Green Bay, Brad. I won't because it was a good win. You know, y'all controlled the game 
the entire <laughs> the entire game because we didn't score a point. Seattle didn't score any points. And the defense is good. I'll give you that. But it wasn't going to take much to go against Russell Wilson in his first game back from injury. I didn't expect him to have some. Both quarterbacks in their return did look quite rusty and, and ma- made some throws that they would not normally make and exactly. made some throws that they would normally complete in their sleep and just missed. Now, Russell said in the press comments, which I completely disagree with, he said it was two bad plays, which is not the reason why we lost. There's many more reasons why, but we won't get into all that. The part that I wanted to get into is that Seattle was not out of this game until the fourth quarter. They right, had, it was a relatively, you know, boring game, so to speak, 100%. until the fourth. And, and, you know, it was a defensive game. because, And I will say this because this is the only thing that I can say I'm impressed in with Seattle over the past few weeks is the defense and because it has been getting uh, embarrassed last season. And now it's been a huge turnaround with Russell Wilson out. They knew that they had to put the team on their back, uh, quote unquote, and they kind of have, even though, you know, we haven't uh, really been winning a lot of games. I still think the defense has been improving a lot. We've got a lot of young guys on the defensive line. I really think when Russ comes back or when, Russ coming, you know, into this next Arizona game uh, healthier. I think it's going to be a really good game. It's always a good game between two NFC West opponents. Yeah, and look, I I don't think we can sit here and act like that's not a a message or some kind of a, a telltale sign going forward that, you know, Seattle might not be the team that we have that we thought they could be, you know. Yeah, and you're right. You're right. I mean, it's heading in a, in a different direction, hundred percent, because you know Pete is is getting older. You know, his and I, I've said this for the past three, four years that the scheme is outdated. It just, it's not doesn't fit in today's NFL, um, and I think that's going to hurt this team if they keep playing like this and Pete's going to end up getting run out of Seattle eventually. Uh, I don't expect him to be there throughout the entirety of his contract because he will be, I believe, 76 years old when his contract expires. So, yeah, and then you've got to start looking at, at other options. You know, his 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 time and his scheme are, are starting to wear out, you, th- you think. Absolutely it is because, I mean, you just look at what we've we've wasted Russell's past seasons with bad offensive line play, and we fixed it. Then the defense started to give up the most points, or we're, we're on track to give up the most yards and points per game. Uh, eventually, turned it around last season at the end, but yeah, it, it's just it's it's really it's going downhill from here, Brett. Honestly, and and if they they still are optimistic about sneaking into a wild card spot, which I think they can do because Seattle has the third easiest schedule remaining, which is a good thing for a a team like this with a quarterback coming off of injury. Maybe they can sneak away with a few of these games. Got to get in another break here. We'll get into the rest of the league schedule this weekend when we come back here on The Score. Back here on the score with Brett Wiseman on Tobacco Road Sports Radio. TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. We've got some major college football news that just broke. Um, 
at the time of recording. We'll get to in the next segment. Uh, but as we look ahead to the rest of the National Football League this weekend, guys, um, Vikings, they head to Lambeau off that win in Los Angeles last week over Garrett's Chargers. Christian, yeah. when you talk about going up against this Green Bay defense from your perspective, we talked about it in the last segment. Um, you know, this is not the same level of quarterback that they've played the last two weeks. Do you feel like there's a, a, a potential here for Green Bay to kind of fall victim to um, a trap game defensively um, because they're not playing the same level of quarterback or same level of offense, really? Well, when you say level of quarterback, do you mean they're – I'm guessing you're saying they're playing a worse quarterback than they've played the last couple Correct. weeks. They're playing Kirk Cousins, so I'll let that speak for itself. Okay. Before I go into this, I will say Kirk Cousins is that quarterback. He has, he has 18 touchdowns, two interceptions, and yet no one's talking about it. That's the kind of person or quarterback Kirk Cousins is. I'll just let that speak for itself. Um, no, you're absolutely right. You know, he's, he's got a bit of a stigma – uh, attached to him, and that's not his fault. But you know, his thing is he can kind of, sort of, be a, a coin toss. You don't know which Kirk Cousins you're going to get. No, you're really not. You really don't, and that's something that's kind of annoying to me. But eh, what are you going to do? Um, and I think I've seen a lot of. Uh, I don't want to word this. Part of me thinks, just given the way that these last couple weeks have gone for Minnesota. There has to be that one game that comes down to it being close and they finally win one. That's that close. But then I remember, Oh wait, we're playing Aaron Rodgers. We're playing, uh, uh, Aaron Jones. We're playing the wide receivers of that green Bay has. Plus the one year that Kirk's actually doing decent. What does green Bay do? They have a good defense. So it's just more stuff that's happening for uh, just more. There's more uh, to deal with. Yeah, there's more to deal with. There's more variables at play. Let's put it that yeah. way. Yeah. Um, and, and you look at the run game, something that Minnesota has been able to do against Green Bay the, the past few matchups is just run all the heck over them. Yeah. Do, do you think and, that happens again here? Uh, well, I mean, I think it's, there's potential for it. I mean, you can, I mean, Minnesota's offense, well, more so the last couple of years than this year has been run first. And with the duo of Alexander Madison and Dalvin Cook, or I guess I'll say Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison, um, they have potential, potential to run, but with Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, and the sudden emergence of Ty Coughlin, their tight end, and uh, KJ Osborne, they could be throwing the ball more, which I don't necessarily like the idea of when Dalvin Cook historically has been good against Green Bay. But whatever helps the team win and get back to 500, which has been a struggle for them for whatever reason this year. And um, their inconsistent play. I just, I'm at this, I'm not saying that Green Bay is going to win. I'm not saying Minnesota is going to win. Obviously, I have my preferences. But I just hope it's not a close game where I get heartbroken yet again for the eighth time in ten weeks. Yeah, I mean, um, that's something you're used to um, yep. as as a Vikings fan. So 
Um, we'll, uh, we'll, 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 we'll leave that for, uh, for, for what it's worth. Um, so we look ahead to the rest of this week. Uh, this Colts-Bills game, guys, uh, there could be a lot riding on the line in terms of the AFC standings overall here. Well, I'm hoping the Colts have a fantastic outing because I snuck away a Jonathan Taylor trade in fantasy football this year uh, in week three. So You genius. <laughs> so I'm hoping that. Well, and also, if you don't have HBO or HBO Max, watch the Hard Knocks in-season uh, Indianapolis Colts. Yes, that's that has been brilliant so far. And we've got Inside the NFL on Paramount Plus, too, which is better than it being on Showtime because, you know, it, it costs so less I, money. Seeing the Colts up close is, it, and having Jonathan Taylor on my fantasy team has really kind of led me closer to, like, watching this team, and uh, especially with Hard Knocks. Uh, I've kind of, like, really grown to this team. Not saying uh, I'm dropping Seattle for Indianapolis, but, uh, no, I think – Buffalo has had uh, some close games this year and against some good teams. So I think Indianapolis and the way they've turned things around after uh, a kind of a bumpy start, uh, I've been impressed with them. And if they can stick to their run game uh, and hit and Carson Wentz can make plays, I think it's going to be a tough outing for Buffalo. And you you mentioned in the last uh, talking about Minnesota, Brett, how Kirk Cousins was kind of a to- coin toss. It, for, for, for me, it feels like this Bills team is kind of a coin toss. You don't really know what you're going to get. Are you going to get the kind of Super Bowl contenders that we were expecting to have at the beginning of the season? Or are you going to get that team that put up six points against Jacksonville? What are you going to get with them? And hopefully after last week, they're starting to kind of figure it out and they're going back into stride. But these are two teams right now. You talk about Indianapolis. They have kind of found their stride, too. They've been playing – uh, not really some great teams, but they've been able to find wins. They play Tennessee very tight. Carson Wentz is car- starting to find his way through this offense as, as well as Michael Pittman Jr. has been a phenomenal receiver so far this year. And, uh, of course, Jonathan Taylor. You guys already hit the nail on the head with that one. Uh, this is definitely an interesting game on, on my end because, you know, if Buffalo plays the way that we know Buffalo – should play at the expectations that we had at the beginning of the season. I think Buffalo takes this one, but of course, Indianapolis has been playing great football, great brand of football as of late. And if Buffalo has, you know, some struggles like we've seen throughout the course of this season, you know, it could be a different outcome in my personal opinion. You know, I, I this one, I don't know how it's going to go because I don't know what teams I'm going to see. It's, it's kind of weird that you have two different types of views for one team if you know what i mean i may add on to what you're saying about buffalo and their struggles uh to me the biggest thing about buffalo these past few seasons is they have no running game whatsoever they have them singletary and zach moss sure you know they're they're c-tier running backs that you can use on occasion josh allen runs the football a lot but i think as a football program you have to have a run game and you have to have somebody that can establish the run and and to me that's been a problem that that to me has been one of their problems is that they they can't get a run game going and and when that happens they kind of make josh allen be like a uh amateur cam newton out there do his best cam newton impression but yeah i don't think buffalo (laughs) is going to get to the super bowl or get past the afc championship like they were in last year if they don't have a run game that's a beautiful point. 
I mean, I can't argue that because it's true. They do not have a run game. I mean, they have some good uh, running backs back there, but really the, the best runner on this team is Josh Allen. So, I mean, you know, if you can't expand uh, the offensive game plan to incorporate the run, you're not going to win a lot of games. And I say this, I'm a firm believer in that you win games in the trenches, no matter 100%. what. 100%. They can't do that. They, they're not going to be able to win in the trenches against some of these better AFC teams when they get to the playoffs. I 100% agree with, with both of you on that. Um, the, the big showdown we got to get to uh, before we finish out this segment, it's Cowboys Chiefs, guys. This is, I think to this point, now that we've seen that the Chiefs, I don't know if we could say they're back, but Mm-mm. they're pretty darn close to it. Um, and then again, they played a Raiders team that's got a lot outwardly to deal with, and that's affecting their play on the field. Um, they just flat out didn't show up the other Sunday night, um, last Sunday night, I should say, uh, at home against Kansas City. But this is, you know, and Dallas will be on a short week after this game because they'll have their Thanksgiving game uh, the following Thursday. Um this is this has the potential to be a, a game of the year kind of thing here, I think. It has the potential to be game of the year, but it also, I think, has the potential to be an absolute blowout on the face for Dallas because Dallas has a good defense. And the thing that we've been saying all year long with this Kansas City Chiefs team, they do not have a good defense. Sure, they played well against the Raiders. Yeah, I, I don't really look at that game as a really a benchmark because the Raiders have been kind of falling off. Uh, a lot of issues. Their offense hasn't been playing that well as of late. So I, I don't really look at that game to say that the Chiefs are back. Um, this is the game where I will I will jump on the Chiefs bandwagon, which would hurt me uh, down to my core because I, you know, I'm, I'm very biased against them. But I will also give respect where respect is due. They have a phenomenal offense. I mean, there's nothing – uh, to say about that. They can get on track. They can keep in games. It's just this Kansas City defense is not that good. And now they have an offense uh, with Dallas that can really be on par. It's probably, I don't know. I, I think these two offenses are you know kind of neck and neck at this point, which is kind of crazy to think about when you think of Kansas City because of how great their offense has already been. So it comes down to, again, who controls the defensive line I think it's Dallas. Who has the better secondary? I think it's Dallas. Who has better linebackers? I think it's Dallas. I mean, Micah Parsons has been phenomenal all year long. So when it gets to, you know, Patrick Mahomes playing hero ball, you know, I I, I don't see a, a world where the Cowboys, you know, find a way to lose this game. But, again, I don't know. I'm putting my trust in the Cowboys, and that's never, ever a good situation. So I don't know. I, I can't help but agree with you, Garrett. Because Yeah, 100% agree with you. One thing for me that we just touched on with Buffalo is that Kansas City also cannot run the football. And I don't know why they do not run the football. I think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, I don't know if he's coming back this weekend, but he should be back after this week. That, that's the problem we saw in the Super Bowl last season, is that although their offensive line was putrid in that game, they did not run the football. Even when they had Le'Veon Bell, they refused to run the ball, and they put the – game and the weight of the game on Patrick's shoulders, and I think that's led to a lot of the struggles for Kansas City this year. And, and you're right with D- Dallas's defense. They're going to 
probably give Patrick Mahomes problems. I am ready to see how Trayvon Diggs does against Tyreek Hill. I think that's going to be the matchup to watch. Uh, Trayvon Diggs been uh, really well, getting almost interception per game, and he's the defensive player of the year candidate for sure. Uh, so that'll be interesting to see how he does against the Cheetah. Yeah, and, and I think this is one of those – games that you can almost certainly break down position by position and there's still not too terribly much of a difference which is why I think this game has the potential to be as thrilling and as memorable as it is and um, as we record we are on the three year anniversary of in my estimation the greatest game of all time which was Chiefs Rams back in 2018 so not saying this has the possibility to live up to that but it, it, it might be in the same stratosphere um, once the clock hits zero. And kind Sunday. of the reason that I, you know, I obviously think that Dallas has this game is just the speed they have up front. Uh, that defensive line, I think, and, and the I offensive think that they line, have the advantage in the front four. I, I don't think course. that's up for debate. And just this offensive line is not where Kansas City wants it to be, and I think they have the speed on the edge, especially if they, you know, bring Micah Parsons in uh, for, you know, uh, blitzing and whatnot um, to get Patrick Mahomes when he's out on the sticks, when he's scrambling the football. Because there's one thing that Patrick Mahomes does really well, and it infuriates me sometimes, is that his ability to stretch plays, get outside the pocket, run for a first down, it's kind of something that you don't think about uh, when you're playing against the Kansas City offense because you know they can just throw it downfield. But he has the ability to you know stretch those plays out. But with this speed for Dallas, they're able to kind of contain him inside of the pocket, not make him scramble out as much as he you know wants to. Uh, so I think it really is a great matchup for this Dallas defense. Last thing I'll say about Dallas too, though, are we going to see two teams on hard knocks make the playoffs? I mean, this might be the <laughs> – this might be the best hard knocks team we've seen in a really long time. Cause I can't we haven't seen a, a legitimate contender on that show. I, I can't remember one. Maybe like the 2000s Ravens. I, that's the yeah, last That's one the only think. one I can think of. Yeah. And we were all the infants at that. Well, except for Christian. But Christian was, what, like seven, probably? I don't know. Old man. <laughs> wait, wait, which which year are we talking two, about? Two thousand, two thousand. The turn was, of the century. Two thousand. I was five. Okay, cool. So he's still <laughs> he was still three years older than us, pretty much, uh, or at least me. The rest of you, he's a little bit older than. But uh, uh, pretty much, there's a there's a large margin there. Uh, yeah. Um, this is why he's the elder statesman of the show. Um, we don't have Alan McManus on, who's older than <laughs> everyone. Um, <laughs> But uh, we have to I get him on at some point because he's got some, let's be frank, some really, really dumb takes. But uh, well, he's, he's funny with it, though. He's hilarious with it. Uh, big news at college football. Stay tuned. We'll get to it next. Back here on The Score with Brett Wiseman on Tobacco Road Sports Radio. TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Brett Wiseman joined by Christian Embry. Garrett Davenport, special thanks to Josh Scott and Alex Wober for joining us uh, in the first portion of the program. Uh, guys, there is some major, major college football news to get to as we uh, boot up hour two here. Um, 
according to what was a report uh, a little bit ago, about an hour ago as we're recording this, um, on the Dan Patrick Show, um, a 12-team college football playoff expansion is a go. They want to get it done for next season. If it's not approved in December, uh, the playoff will not go until 2025. However, Brett McMurphy has uh, contradicted that report that was on the Dan Patrick show. His sources have told him that that report is, quote, bogus and, quote, not even possible because of ESPN and other bowl contracts and that the earliest it could happen is 2024. Regardless, if it's, quote, a go, everybody on this show is extremely pleased. We're very excited. I mean, come on, this is... Oh, finally what we've been waiting for. You know, you've seen that SpongeBob episode. They're like, this is what we've been... That's exactly this, what we're what's, feeling What's the right Dave now. Batista clip from uh, WWE? Give me what I want. We've been asking for it for years. Finally get what we want. Feels great. Now, I hope it's next season. I mean, that also, you know, the, the reports doesn't kind of make sense for it to happen next season because with all the contracts and stuff. Uh, so I understand that. But as long as it happens, you know, I'm happy. Yeah, I'd enjoy for it to happen too. I mean, my question with this is, if they expand, how many group of five teams are they going to let in? Well, yeah, see, that, I mean, that, 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 that question is, you know, what's the format? Is there some kind of a wild card that like that eight-team format that was proposed where there was you know, the one wild card? Where do the independents fall into this? What but I'm assuming... Here, here's <laughs> the thing, and, and I would assume it's not just because of the contracts, Look at all this realignment that can't happen until 24-25. Texas and Oklahoma go into the SEC. All this group of five realignment. Teams move. There's like four or five teams that are moving up from FCS to FBS. They need a transition year. I don't think you could count the first year of that college football playoff as the transition year because then they don't have a chance. So if the whole point is to give everybody a shot here by expanding... I think you got to wait till twenty five because there are still a lot of a lot of moving chess pieces on the board here. I'm going to use that giving everybody a shot. I'm going to have that real big quotation marks and a lot of asterisks because no, that that was implied on my end. But yeah, but you know, I, I really don't think give everyone a shot is really uh, what what's going to be about this. It's just going to get more power five teams in. What I what I'm speculating here is that they're going to have. Every Power 5 champion, the top group of five team, and then obviously if it's 12, six at-large teams. And the majority of those at-large teams will be a Power 5 school unless there's some miraculous season from another G5 team. Um, and if they have the same kind of choosing committee, I, I don't know if more G5 will come in. But that's uh, from a 12-team playoff perspective, that's kind of my thought with it. That's how I think they would do it. I mean, that's, I think that makes the best sense. Uh, but who knows? I could be completely wrong. The college football playoff committee does what they want. So I, I'm not too sure. But that's what I assume. In a situation like this year, where you've got two group of fives that are two of the three remaining undefeateds in all of college football, in uh, UT San Antonio and Cincinnati, that's where this 12-team playoff could, could, could be a, a potentially good thing. But then there's the flip side of it is... Okay, uh, UTSA is in Conference USA. Um, they haven't really played anybody, period. Cincinnati's in a slightly better conference. If anything, I think of all this G5 realignment, 
I know we're a little bit biased as Apple alums, but the Sun Belt almost comes out as the better conference of all this because you add you add a, a Marshall, you add a James Madison, who's for the past four or five years been the best FCS program not named North Dakota State, and uh, you bring in Southern Miss too, a, a kind of a G five blue blood as as Brett Favre's alma mater. So um, you bring in serious competition, and then Conference USA. Their biggest school they're bringing in is Liberty, but they're losing Marshall and Southern Miss. So, I think, well, really, when it comes to the realignment wars, I mean, I, th- I think there's n- there should be no debate. I mean, I know we're biased, but the Sun Belt easily won the conference realignment. I already think they're one of the top team, top conferences in football. Uh, of course, you know, you got the American there, but with Cincinnati and all those good teams moving to the Big Twelve, and that's kind of another question I have. You know, as those teams move to the Big Twelve, because really. The expansion. That's, that's the where playoff. the power. That's where the power five dominoes. It, it, the chess pieces get bigger there because, what is it? You've got Houston, Rice, uh, BYU, and then uh, Memphis, and and uh, I'm blanking on the other one. But there's five teams that are going to the Big Twelve um, when they lose two, when they lose Texas and Oklahoma, and they go to the SEC. The Big Twelve adds five. One so of them's the, an independent. So really, the good that also throws a wrench into it because you've got. At that point, you've got two less independents because Liberty's going to CUSA. And it's just like they took the good teams from the G5 and put them in the Power 5. That was their, that was kind of the idea with this. And then the G5s were like, okay, our, our only option now is to bring teams up. And then Sam Houston State was like, okay, yeah, I guess we'll move up. Yeah, I mean, again, but talking about this Sun Belt Conference, it's going to be the best football G5 conference by the time the conference realignment happens, by the time uh, the American, you know, becomes a lesser conference, in my personal opinion, um, they're, they're, the American's not looking good. Uh, but so the Sun Belt, man, there should be a lot of excitement if you're a Sun Belt uh, school, if you're a fan of a Sun Belt school, and if you're just a fan of the Sun Belt in general, because it's looking like a real top-heavy uh, football conference for the foreseeable future. So that's pretty exciting, especially as App alums. I mean, we always talked about how we want an app to be in a better conference. But how about the conference gets better around app? So that's pretty fun. Yeah, adding uh, – I mean, adding those three teams and ODU, which are only for their for proximity purposes, but whatever. Um, we wanted – I wanted more competition, so we go from – App and Coastal to having it be a potentially a four team race in our in the East Division, just depending on how good JMU does compared to Marshall, Coastal, and App. Yeah, and then we can talk about you know where things go this weekend when we get into the rest of the area teams. But I do think um, the Sun Belt makes out like gangbusters uh, with with where things turn. As far as you know, when all the the dust settles from all the realignment, um, they come out as the winner. And and if this expansion thing really is, as is as is reported, a go for twenty four twenty five, um, that it, I don't think it could start till then. Would I love for it to start next year? Yes, but there's there's a lot of pieces on the chessboard that still have to move, and the dust has to settle, and everything's kind of gotta be shifted around and, and snapped back into place um, before I think we, we, we could even think about it. Uh, let's look at the college football slate uh, for this weekend. Wake Forest is cracked back into the top 10. We'll get to that in the next segment. Um, 
But the big one, fourth-ranked Ohio State, seventh-ranked Michigan State. Also, I will say this about our wonderful playoff committee that has decided by some miracle of the imagination to rank a 6-4 and four Mississippi State team um, who only has a one-game better record than their FCS opponent they play this weekend. Uh, it's a travesty. It's an absolute disgrace, and the committee's an embarrassment uh, for that. But uh, 4v7 at noon on ABC um, from the Horseshoe. Ohio State opens as a 19-point favorite. Uh, Michigan State, uh, they might take that as lunch pail material. Uh, they're definitely coming into this game with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder because, I mean, I mean we all know Ohio State's been, you know, kind of the top dog in the Big Ten for quite a long time. So I know this one got a lot riding on the wall. Uh, for me, I, I, I don't know about 19 points. I think that's a little ridiculous in my personal opinion. I'm taking Michigan State to cover all day, even if they oh, lose 100%. by two touchdowns. Even if Michigan State doesn't win, you know I'm covering. I'm covering that spread easily. I think that's a that's a good one there to to bet on. I mean, you're probably going to win some money on this game if you decide to go that route. Uh, but I, I, at the end of the day, I mean, I don't know how to put much insight into this one. It's going to be a real fun game. Uh, Michigan State and Kenneth Walker. Whew, I mean. Real that good. run game is stout, but in the same vein, you got to stop what's a, a really vaunted passing attack. You got to stop Ohio State, and that's a lot easier said than done. They got stars everywhere. This is a star-studded game. CJ Stroud is playing out of his mind right now, so that's going to be a tough passing attack to slow down. It's going to be a fun one over there. It's going to be a real fun one. I again, no, not a lot of analysis coming from me. Just I just know this one's going to be a dogfight. Uh, it certainly is, and that's uh, the right place for college game day uh, to go. Um, Oklahoma, they'll try and bounce back off that loss against Baylor, um, knocking them for the ranks of the undefeated. They'll go against uh, Iowa State, uh, who last week lost to Texas Tech. But uh, in case you missed it, guys, Texas Tech's radio announcers uh, heavily reprimanded by the Big 12, uh, as in the entire crew is suspended for this week's Texas Tech game. They're irrelevant, so I don't know who they're playing. Um, about commenting about Big 12 officiating, saying things like the Big 12 does not want Ohio or Iowa State to lose this game. Uh, quoting the commissioner by name, you should be ashamed of this. Naming each and every official's full name uh, so they could be, quote, held accountable um, for some of the calls that were made. Um, as a play-by-play man, all three of us have done play-by-play and enjoy doing play-by-play. As a play-by-play guy, you, we can't say that, whether we're on one side or the other, we're neutral. As a color guy, you can't say that. The sideline guy can't play along with it. The producer can't sit there and act like he's okay with it. None of that is okay by any stretch of the imagination, and the Big 12 did the right thing. <laughs> yeah, I think so, too. That's not okay at all. I mean, look, I understand, especially— Plus, ref-shaming, ref, ref especially as a play-by-play guy, is just lazy. Yeah, yeah no, I mean— Look, I understand we've seen some games where officiating has gone one way, but as a broadcaster, you got to kind of keep silent about that. You can say, hey, I don't know if that was a good call, but when it comes to calling out them name name by name, I mean, that's just that's unprofessional at, at first and foremost. Like, I understand what it was. It was Texas Tech. It was their radio station. Uh, yeah, they, they were. Here's the other thing. They were up by 10. It's not like this actually had any outlook on the game. 
I don't. I I just don't understand that. I understand, you know, you have some favoritism. I understand you're a Texas Tech, you know, station, whatever it may be. But still, you can't do that. You can't do that. Even if we know what's going on, you know, we understand as broadcasters that uh, there's just lines you cannot cross. You got to stay as neutral as possible. And you know, just just saying like that, it's just it's just kind of ridiculous. You know, we we. Again, I kind of point this point home. Like, yeah, we have our biases. I mean, let's be let's be honest here, guys. There are biases when it comes to uh, calling a home team. I think you know most of us do. You know, high school. Uh, at least uh, I, I'm not too sure everybody's situation. But um, you know, yeah, I do. high school. It's a different kind of story with when it comes to biases. I, I don't have no any when it comes to high school football. Because you're kind you of in the same boat that we are here at uh, at Tobacco Road, in which we just call games everywhere. We're not affiliated with one specific school. I call Glenn's games, so I kind of had to be a homer. But um, in the same vein, you, you still can't even if officiating went against Glenn. I still couldn't do that. Yeah, yeah. You can say, "Hey, that's a bad call," but that's it. You know, that's all you got to say is like, yep. "Hey, I don't know about that one." You know, but you kind of have to move on. You have to be like the players and move on from that situation. You can't ha- hold a gr- grudge against the zebras because it's it's not a good look. It's not a good look. And in my in my estimation, in my opinion, it's just it, it's lazy. You're not you're not even doing your job at that point. You're just you're 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 blowing hot air into the microphone. Um. Let's look at the rest of the slate this weekend. Uh, Georgia has their regularly scheduled uh, SEC November Cupcake game uh, against Charleston Southern, which is another reason I hate the SEC, but that's a different story for a different time. Uh, Alabama's got 21st-ranked Arkansas at 330. Um, Cincinnati and UTSA, um, they've got some serious tests this weekend, guys. Very easily, either of these teams could fall. Uh, UAB... Since it's seven and three, uh, if they beat UTSA, that could do a lot for UAB in terms of getting to the CUSA title game because um, they'd have the tiebreaker if they were able to win out. Uh, that's a three thirty kick. UTSA is only a four and a half point favorite in that one. Uh, eight and two SMU, who at one point was in the top twenty five for uh, a solid two or three weeks in a row. Um, that's a test against Cincinnati's at home. Cincinnati's an 11 point favorite, which I also think is generous because SMU can light up the scoreboard. Um, so that uh, I, I'm going to go out here and say there's potential trap game uh, possibility there. Versus Cincinnati SMU for both for both those games. I think. Oh UAB's, yeah. For, well, really, UAB's yeah. got a shot. Yeah. Both both those games. I I like UTSA a little more than I do like Cincinnati right now. Cincinnati has kind of struggled as of late, um, at least from you know. Uh, as, and you look back recent. to that that Navy game. Yeah, they they struggled against Tulsa. They struggled against Navy. I mean, they've had some great games in there. They did have a great bounce back win against USF. But, I mean, you look at this SMU offense, man. This thing, they, they can light it up now. I mean, they have about 500 passing yard, total yards again. Uh, uh, ah, 500 total yards a game. Uh, Mordecai's a great quarterback. Uh, this is definitely, I mean, you said it. It is a trap game. It is at Cincinnati. So, not too sure how much favoritism goes into that one. But also, you know. This SMU defense, kind of talking about this team, because we know what Cincinnati can do, give up a lot of yards. And that's what, you know, we might see an offensive explosion uh, uh, on ESPN about 12, 2.30 central time. So, you know, I'm in a different time zone. But uh, 
you know, this this one has a potential to be a real fun one. And, you know, it kind of comes down to who can get those stops, who can make them punt the football. Maybe a, a turnover can change this outcome of this game. It's going to be a lot closer than I think people are going to think it's going to be. Yeah, again, like I said, that that eleven point favorite thing, that's that's generous. Uh, I I would almost certainly take um, SMU to cover on that one. The uh, over we... under is sixty five. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, no. I might, I might, I don't know. I'm not. Do not take betting advice from me, Garrett. Life is too short to bet the under. You gotta bet the over on this one. Life is too short to bet the under, okay? Take, take that as my only piece of betting advice that I will ever give in my entire life. Uh, when we come back, though, we got to get into our uh, Tobacco Road Roundup here. We'll get into the rest of the area, and, of course, we'll talk about App State uh, here on The Score. Back here on The Score with Brett Wiseman on Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Com. One final segment here this morning. Brett Wiseman alongside Christian Emery and Garrett Davenport, guys, as we dig into what's happening in and around Tobacco Road. Uh, App State uh, basketball, uh, we're in a little bit of pain in that regard. The loss to Charlotte, a uh, bit of a heartbreaker there, but uh, still a lot to be happy about the first couple of games. Uh, App State will have Delaware in the um, Gulf Coast Showcase uh, Monday night, the Fighting Joe Flacco's on the hardwood. Um, Joe Flacco is actually starting this weekend for the uh, the Jets. Fun fact: This is off topic. Uh, Joe Flacco is the fourth quarterback ever since the year two thousand to wear number nineteen and start a game. I can't name the other three, but I tried. Trust you me. You pulled a random stat out of the hat. It's pretty cool. Uh, well, Michael's not here, so I had to give a factoid at some point. Nice. nice. Um, but App State football guys. This game against Troy, they could clinch the Sunbelt East uh, with a victory against a 5-5 five and five Troy team. But in the same vein, Troy's playing desperately so they could stay, you know, at least in the realm of bowl eligibility. If they win, they'll be there. So um, they, they certainly have a lot to play for, and they'll have Georgia State next week. Uh, so there's a lot riding on these next two games. So Troy's going to be playing a, a desperate brand of football so if you're at state, you got to be careful here. Yeah, I mean, I will be honest with you. This is definitely a trap game, I and mean, we know what App State can do. App's only a nine and a half point favorite here. So. It's at Troy. You know, you come in, you're a little confident. We've seen this kind of happen with App State before. We've you come seen in this confident, movie and they end up, you know, not doing so hot, and they end up getting upset. So it's happened with App State. I mean, definitely on paper, on on paper. Again, we look at this App State football team. There's really no way they should lose. But at the end of the day, you know, it's do you come prepared? Hate week is next week. You got Georgia Southern next week. Are you looking too far ahead of that game for that game? Because we've seen App State do it before. Uh, you know, you got to stay poised. You got to go 1-0 and this week. You Again, like when you look at paper, you look at the matchups. App State's favorited everywhere. But – you know, you got to stay poised. You got to keep going one game at a time. You can't look over this Troy team because if you do, you have the groundwork for a monumental upset. Yeah. And I don't think App really has to look very far. Just look at what happened at a, a between Coastal Carolina and uh, Georgia State last week. Um, Georgia State won that game by two and 
really helped App, obviously, but App knows that they need to win one of these next two to clinch the Sunbelt uh, East division and play uh, the University of eight L's in a row. Um, for the and I don't, I, don't, I don't think you want to go into the Georgia Southern game and that have to be the clincher. No, because Georgia Southern will want to... I mean, of course, Georgia Southern wants to win every single year. They've played spoiler two years in a row now, so... Yeah, because they they did it, you know, when we were having you know a phenomenal season when we wanted to go to a New Year's Six. The Cotton Bowl. They uh, spoiled that. So, you know, we, we want revenge, of course. I mean, I know we got it last year, but we want revenge again. I think we're going to want revenge for the next 10 years, you know, whatever it may be. But that's one of those games, like, we know what that Georgia Southern games means. You don't want to come into that game with a lot riding on the wall. So you got to take care of business this week. It's a business trip. you got to go get things done. Yeah, you you got to take care of business, and uh, especially – with with the 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 hate week against the stink uh, against Georgia Southern uh, looming next week, where Clay Helton has been relegated to, if if anything, we'd consider that the shadow realm. If you come from USC and go to Statesboro, Georgia, <laughs> which is literally it's when we call them the stink, we're not kidding. The city is literally built on a sewage ground. That's not we're not being facetious. That's actually a fact. Um, let's look at Wake Forest here. They go at Clemson. It's regularly been a house of horrors for them, as has Boston College and Chestnut Hill next week. Uh, BC's got Florida State this week. But um, Wake's back at the top 10. If your only loss is to North Carolina, that's a loss that doesn't look as good now as it might have if Carolina had continued on the trajectory that they were overhyped to have gone on. Um, But... I don't think Wake falls out of the equation completely, at least as far as a New Year's Six Bowl goes. They're nine and one. If they went out and and beat Pitt, who's only a game worse than them in the ACC championship game, uh, Wake Forest might have a shift. If they go to twelve and one and they beat Clemson on the road and they're able to beat Pitt in the ACC championship game, you've at least got to consider them in the top six. Definitely, I I don't think they get into the playoff at this point. I know that no, uh, I, I think in the be, show we were talking if, about if they went out, I think they're one of the one of those first two out. Let's put I th- it that yeah, way. I think they're definitely a New Year's Six team if they do win out. Uh, they got a great football team. Of course, we talk about it all the time. This Clemson game, though, you're at Death Valley. It could be a little a uh, little dangerous. We know that Wake Forest hasn't had a great track record there. Uh, well, really, Wake Forest never really had a great track record there. But, uh, you know, this is a Clemson team that's on a down year, and 7-3 and three is a down year. It's kind of wild to even think about. Uh, but uh, this is, again, another one of those situations where Wake Forest is going to have to go take care of business. And a lot easier said than done, you know, in South Carolina as that Clemson team is starting to kind of find their stride a little bit. Uh, so this one is a, definitely a, a key matchup. We know what fake, I mean, Wake Forest can do, excuse me, nothing fake about them. But, uh, you know, after especially that win against North Carolina State, had a close game against North Carolina, they're a team that can put up points. It's just their defense can get those stops. I mean, uh, at the end of the day, it's, you know, we talk about it a lot in the show. It kind of comes down to the trenches, who wins up front, and that's what Wake Forest is going to have to do. Their defense is going to have to really show up. They're going to have to 
place, you know, a different brand of football if they're going to want to pull out this game on the road uh, against a, a good Clemson team. I mean, you're not they're not the Clemson of old, but they're still good. You know, they can still put up points. So, you know, your defense really has to step up. They can't be allowing 45, 50 points every single game. They got to really strap up this this week. Yeah, and this is a defense that historically, at least this season, has not shown up. So if there's any time for them to show up uh, against this a team like Clemson, a team like Clemson that, yeah, they're 7-3. and three. They're not the Clemson of old, but we've talked about it. That's Death Valley. For no matter who goes in there, it's a house of horrors. But for Wake Forest, it historically has been. Um, there's potential. Clemson the, is the favorite in this game, by the way. It gets the 10th-ranked team in the nation. Clemson's a four-and-a-half-point favorite. So if you're Wake Forest, just like you went into that game against Carolina as the underdog, we said Wake was going to be the better team there. Wake is not— We were wrong. We were wrong. Um, Wake might be the better team in this scenario— but if their defense does what it did against North Carolina, which is forget to get off the bus, they're going to have problems. They're going to have a lot of problems. I mean, again, this is not – again, we talk about this is not the Clemson of old, but they still have a really good defense. I mean, that's always kind of been the thing for Clemson is that they've had a great defense for and a it, very, very it, long it seems time. like, especially in that NC State game last week, even though Wake was able to gut out that win, NC State was the first team we've really seen that's been able to figure out that Wake Forest, uh, that mesh point offense. Yeah. <laughs> you hit the nail on the head with that one. They were able to figure it out. And Clemson, you know, looking at, you know, ESPN, you know, the the power index, you know, I don't really look at that, but the matchup predictor says 70 to 30 in favor of Clemson. I don't know about all that, you know, but a four and a half point favorite uh, going into this game. And, you know, at first, you know, at first glance, you would think, oh, that's kind of ridiculous. But we did talk about the fact that this Wake Forest defense has not been good this season. They haven't been good uh, at Clemson. And, you know, I think it, it's got the makings of something that could really be detrimental to Wake Forest. They got to keep pushing their – they got to keep pushing down the gas pedal on this one because if you let Clemson hang around – because I, I will tell you right now, I think Wake Forest is going to get out early. Uh, they might score first. I, th I think there is definite potential there for them to let off the gas a little bit. If they will let off the gas, you can't let Clemson hang around because this defense, they start making stops, they start getting momentum, they start getting in the end zone. It could start, you know, causing a domino effect. Do I think Wake Forest has a better offense? 100%. Do I think Wake Forest can score uh, a lot of points in this game? 100%. But it comes down to the fact they get that one stop, they get that two stops, and it comes into a different ball game. So, Again, it's one of those things. We talked about App State going in and taking business. This is Wake Forest. They got to go in there. They got to take care of business because this is a Clemson team that, yes, is down. But, again, you got to play your brand of football. Yeah, and, and your brand of football is mixing things up. And, um, look, if NC State can figure it out, Clemson can certainly watch the tape and and, uh, and figure it out too. Uh, let's go to the world of, of college basketball here real quick and, and look around the area. Um, as well, um, again, that's it's feast week. Uh, all these made-for-TV uh, uh, tournaments are starting up. It's a fun time of year for for everybody that loves college basketball. Uh, Duke, uh, they got played tough by Campbell uh, last weekend, but um, again, their real test is not until next Friday against Gonzaga in Las Vegas on Black Friday. Um, there's uh, certainly 
potential for Duke to enter the top five by the beginning of the week. Uh, they got Lafayette uh, Friday night. They had Lafayette on Friday night. Um, and then you look at Saturday, it's a big one for UNC, Christian. As you know, you'll you'll be in studio for it, I'm sure. Uh, yep. UNC and Purdue in the Cheez-It Hall of Fame tip-off uh, from Springfield, Mass. Uh, Purdue sixth in the country. Uh, Carolina, Hubert Davis and company. First of all, what have you seen from Hubert and this team um, in the first few games under him? And secondly, what do you expect in this game against Purdue? Uh, so to answer the first part, what I've seen out of Hubert Davis and uh, what he wants to do, the it's pretty similar to what Roy wants to do, but he does want his bigs to be involved more with uh, playing defense, which or I shouldn't say playing defense, but playing defense has been a struggle for UNC so far this season, just for whatever reason. I don't know if it's just the lack of continuity, cons- uh, chemistry that the team has, playing a new system, whatever. But, I mean, when you go into halftime trailing Brown, no, not Brown, uh, yeah, Brown by seven, and then you have to rally to beat College of Charleston, who shot lights out from the three-point line, so that bodes well for ACC play, if you think about it. But anyway. True. Um, but, yeah, they just need to tighten things up on defense. Armando Baycott is playing lights out. He's averaging – I think he's averaging 20 – north of 20 and north of 10 rebounds a game. He's shooting over 80% from the field right now um, somehow. I don't know. But he's a fantastic player. But I think it's just ultimately going to be an adjustment – that they're going to have to make as they make this leap from teams like loyal. I mean, you're making a giant leap here to play a a top 10 team, uh, a team that if they win this game, well, I think almost certainly be in the top five Uh, produce a historically really good program. Matt painter um, been one of the best coaches in the country for a long time now. And uh, all three of us know what kind of style Purdue plays and what kind of style every big 10 team plays for the most part, and that that's to be physical down low. And Christian, when you talk about Hubert Davis wanting to get his bigs involved, um, I don't know that that's a matchup you go into with the size that Purdue has and the girth that Purdue has to play physical down low. I don't know if that's a matchup you go into thinking you've got the advantage. Yeah, no, I, I'm not, I'm not going to say that this is a game that UNC is going to going to win. I think there's definitely potential they could can lose this game given the fact that how inconsistent they've been on the defensive end. And um, it, I'm just, I'm trying to figure out which UNC team is going to show up because they've, they've shown spurts where they can be a really good team. They've had their spurts that make you want to pull your hair out. That seems to be a theme among all my teams this year. Anyway, um, but they have the ability, Purdue is, and then I will say this after Purdue they're going to play either Villanova or Tennessee, so that's going to be another uh, fun, e- another fun evening. That'll be on Sunday, so it's going to be back-to-back ranked teams. But to get to your point, yeah, I think they're going to have to rely more on the three-point shots of R.J. Davis, Caleb Love, um, Brady Manick, who looks like a lumberjack, um, and just their ability to shoot threes and then feed the ball inside to, when they get their bigs away from the basket. I will say this. I will interject a little bit. I know. I know a little bit of Carolina basketball. Not necessarily a fan, but I know. I know it. You know, as a Duke fan, I feel like I have to know about it a little bit. 
Uh, I, I, looking at this Purdue matchup, this matchup between Armando Baycott and Zach Eady of Purdue, it's going to be a real fun one. But when it comes to North Carolina, what they need is they really need to see the growth and they really needed to see, you know, what kind of work this kid put in throughout the summer. And that's Caleb Love. He is going to have to have a huge game against Purdue because, you know, I feel like when it comes down to the front court, it's going to be a pretty much a stalemate. I mean, I'm sure Armando Baycott and uh, Edie will, of course, go back and forth, neck and neck. Also, Manic is going to have to be able to stretch the floor, let Caleb Love, you know, isolate, get to the hoop, get to, get some buckets himself because, you know, th- this is going to be a very, very tough game, and this is a Purdue team that can also stretch the floor as well. They can shoot the three ball, shooting about 42%, and that's something we've seen Carolina struggle with is guarding the three-pointer. So you can't get lost on assignment. you got to figure out who your man is, and you can't let up those open three-pointers because if, if – <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's true to the game. You know, whoever makes the most three pointers usually is going to win the win the ball game. Uh, but yeah, you just got to stay disciplined on defense. You can't lose your man. Uh, you got to, you know, make sure you're contesting every single shot. Uh, especially, you know, when it comes to offensive rebounds, that's the perfect time to uh, hit a three pointer and kick it out. So you got to be disciplined on the glass. You got to box out uh, because if you're letting this team, you know averaging 46 rebounds a game is Purdue. They're getting on the boards. I mean, it's going to be a tough look right there for North Carolina. So, again, the the play for Caleb Love is number one. You He has to have a great ball game against Purdue. You got to crash the glass, and you got to defend, like Christian said. You know, you got to be consistent defense if you're going to want to pull out a game against a team like Purdue. Yeah, and then the, that same can be said for the game that, they play, that, they'll, that UNC will play next against either Tennessee or Villanova. So that – it's, the four teams in this tournament are UNC, uh, uh, hold on, UNC, um, oh wow, we're just talking about it, yeah, uh, UNC, Purdue, Tennessee, and Villanova, so. That's a pretty darn good four-team field yeah. right there. Yeah, and it'll really be interesting, it'll be interesting to see who plays All who. All four of those teams are ranked, by the way. Tennessee's yeah, kind of creep. Tennessee's kind of creeping up, but Villanova's, uh, despite the loss to UCLA the other night, they're still a, a really, really good team. And this, like that Villanova UCLA game, like the uh, Gonzaga Texas game uh, last weekend, um, this is another one of those November games that's that you mark down and that might not matter as much now, but will certainly matter to the committee come March when they start exactly. looking at seating and where to put people. One hundred percent. Uh, while we got some time here, guys, let's talk about the Canes and the Hornets. Um, Canes have kind of returned to earth, Christian. Um, but uh, you wanted to talk about one thing, and I, I don't think the fan base is giving Tony D'Angelo enough credit nope. for what he's been able to do on, on both ends of the ice, uh, uh, offensively and defensively. Oh, yeah. I mean, first, I, I do want to say that, yeah, they've come down to earth. They, they weren't going to light up the scoreboard all season long like they were but um yeah they're they're playing consistent hockey again since rod Bradmore took over this is probably the best team i've seen them have um or it's definitely up there he's been coached for things this is his fourth year don't don't quote me on that but somewhere around there but yeah and tony d'angelo he's really uh really surprised me he's playing to new york rangers style Tony D'Angelo hockey, except for his last year where he was essentially barred from 
the team and the league for incidents we won't go into. Um, but yeah, he's playing fantastic. He has three goals, 11 assists, 14 points, which is, believe it or not, fourth or third on the team behind Andrei Svechnikov and uh, Spashnaho. Um, and he's just, he's contributing in all three phases. He's uh, obviously he has the offensive input. He had a beautiful, no, not last night, the uh, night before against, um, uh, who did they play? Um, not Anaheim. Uh, whoever their game was before Anaheim, he had a great redirect or uh, some good passes that led to goals. Um, he's stepped up on the defensive end and he's, 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 Filling in, like we've talked about multiple times, filling in for Doug, Dougie Hamilton, fantastic, a fantastic replacement. And this team is 13-2. and two. They're tied. I think they have the second-best record in the league behind Florida, who is a point ahead of them, and they've played two more games than the Hurricanes. So one more win, the Hurricanes have the best record, or if you want to put it this way, most points in the league. Yeah, and... I think you hit the nail on the head on all that. Uh, very quickly here before we wrap up, we'd be remiss if we did not talk about the Charlotte Hornets, and they knocked off this past week the best team in the Western Conference, the Golden State Warriors, last Sunday night, and earlier on this week, the best team in the Eastern Conference, which by some miracle of the imagination right now, um, or was, the Washington Wizards. Um, the way this team is playing, Garrett, you, you would know it too. Um uh, guys are contributing all over the place. And Ish Smith, as good as he was playing early on, he's kind of come back down to earth as well. But, I mean, Miles Bridge is playing out of his mind right now. Plumlee is making a huge difference in rebounding, which is exactly what he was brought in to do, to do what Cody Zeller and, and others could not. He's making a huge difference on the offensive and defensive boards. Um, Oubre has really started to come on. Again, had the most points of any player off the bench in franchise history at 37 uh, the other night in Memphis. Um, this team, guys, I'm and, and everyone out there, I'm telling you, this team has got something. They got something in the works. They have a really good young core. And the thing about it is, is you're going to see spurts of greatness from this team. You're also going to see some spurts of not-so-greatness, not-so-good stuff. Uh, that's just kind of what comes with the territory with having a young team. But they definitely have a great core uh, that can do a lot of damage when it comes to the future for this franchise. I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head uh, with guys like Miles Bridges. Of course, you know, you can't talk about the Hornets without LaMelo Ball, who, you know, after a great rookie season, I mean, he's come in and he's really taken over as the face of the franchise. I mean, we kind of already assumed it, but, you know, he's he's playing at a level that I don't think that I was ready for, <laughs> that I didn't really know. I, I certainly wasn't, was. and now we're we're a year and a couple days removed from, from drafting him, and that's the day I, I think you could say this franchise took a, a huge upward trajectory. None of us knew it then, but, I mean, when you add an Ubre to that, when you add a Plumlee to that, the, the, the pieces are here, the core is here for this team to be competitive and, and I, I think finally uh, get back not to the play-in, but to the play-offs, especially with the way Terry Rozier has been playing. And I also think, I mean, you just mentioned Terry Rozier. He's starting to play uh, with that contract. He's trying to make that money and starting to play like the player that they know they thought he was. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, this is a team where if one guy's struggling, you have another guy that can pick up. And, you know, and that, in that NBA, was the problem when Kemba was here was there wasn't another guy. And I never thought I would say this, 
but the Hornets won the Kimball Walker trade. But the biggest thing now is there's, there is, there's people behind. Okay. It's not just a, if it's just LaMelo, it's not just a, just LaMelo. It's not a just Terry. It's, it's a Terry, it's an Ubre, it's a Bridges. It's a, everybody is stepping up and playing their part. I mean, Nick Richards has played outstanding when he's gotten playing time. Um, as has uh, Jalen McDaniels has come into nowhere the past two seasons and played really well. Uh, Cody Martin has played great on the defensive end. Uh, that sequence the other night in the Washington game uh, where LaMelo blocked a three and then Cody blocked a consecutive three and Eric Collins lost his mind. Um this team, they James Borrego has this team in a mindset where they're just a scrap. They, they play like a scrappy bunch of AAU kids, but they do it in the manner that they can compete with anybody that's out there on the floor. Yeah, they're going to have their faltering moments, like a loss to Cleveland at home on a Monday night, but this is a team that, that plays with heart, they play with passion, and they play as a team. And that's the one thing that this this franchise has been missing for the longest time. They got a lot of upside. And, you know, like, they're not a championship contender team. They're not probably going to go past the second round of the playoffs. I mean, again, it's uh, early in the season, so I don't really know. You know, there's a lot of season left to play. But, you know, you have a great foundation. You have some great groundwork with a bunch of those guys. And like I said earlier, you got a guy uh, like in Gordon Hayward who can score 20 points a game but can also score something like 8, like 10. You know, like in the past couple of games, and the, he hasn't the, had the a great veteran game. leadership that he both he and Plumlee are providing right now are, make even more importance. But yeah, just having a full group that can get it done is going to go a long way when it comes to the rest of this franchise. So again, there's a lot to be excited about in Charlotte, especially with the Hornets. I mean, of course, I know all the Panthers fans are excited, but you know, start cheering on some basketball because you got some uh, a great team that can do some real damage in the future. And you know, I I really like to look at these young teams because I know what kind of talent they have. And it's kind of one of those things where you got to keep this core together. That's the one thing you have to do is keep these guys playing together. You know, make sure contracts are all situated and make sure everything's right. Because if you grow up together and, you know, I, I think they might be the youngest team in the league. I might be wrong with that uh, uh, statement. It might be Atlanta. Youngest, I believe. Yeah, I think Atlanta's the youngest team. But, you know, keeping these guys together, I think Atlanta and Charlotte can have a, a lot of battles when it comes to the playoffs, uh, especially in the future. You know, a couple of years down the road, uh, these guys got to develop. They got to develop their full games, but they're getting there. And again, I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse right now because I keep saying you've got a great future, but it's really true. The, I think the future is here now um, in a way, not fully, but uh, I feel like this this team is, is right on the cusp of. I think they'll get into the playoffs, but they're on the cusp of in the next few years doing a whole lot more. You said Charlotte needs to start chewing on basketball. They need to start chewing on soccer, too. Tickets for the Charlotte FC opener inaugural game at Bank of America Stadium, which will take place March 5th. Those are on sale as of this morning or as of yesterday morning, I should say, uh, as we're recording this on Friday. But uh, Charlotte FC is trying to sell out Bank of America Stadium. That would be the largest crowd of 74,000-plus in any MLS game in history. Uh, and uh, tickets are they're going fast from what I understand. So, uh, Charlotte, if you're in on basketball, if you're in on football, get in on soccer uh, because if there's a chance to pull that off, that would be the most electric atmosphere in the 20-some-odd, 25-some-odd-year history of the MLS. For Garrett Davenport, 
for Christian Emery, for Josh Scott, for Alex Wober, for our producer, Desmond Johnson. I'm Brett Wiseman saying so long for this week. Enjoy yourselves.